As I mentioned to you earlier, anytime there's a therefore in the Scripture, you really need to investigate what it's there for. This is going to be a problem, I can tell. So, I couldn't leave Philippians and... Um, because all that Paul said to us in uh, chapter 3 of Philippians, and I'll just review that for you quickly, especially for those of you who weren't with us the last few weeks. Remember, he said early in chapter 3, verse 2, I think it was, he said, uh, Beware of the dogs and evil workers. Now, who was he talking about? He was talking about religious men and women who wanted to add religion to Christianity. Remember, he's talking about the Judaizers. They wanted to add circumcision to Christianity. And Paul says, this is an amended gospel. This is not the gospel I preach. For we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So, that's how he started, if you'll remember, Philippians chapter 3. And then he says, you know, in maybe one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible, he says, Jesus means more to me than anything else. Jesus is better to me than the next best thing. I love Jesus supremely. On the road to Damascus, face down, he met his Creator, he met his Redeemer, and his whole life changed. Being a perfect Jew, no matter really, no really, uh, not really, uh, no longer mattered to Paul. The other thing, one, one of the other things he said to us there in chapter 3, remember, quite humbly he said, I've not yet attained unto it. I've not yet arrived. And we all own that for ourselves, right? We're, as we made much of, we're, we're pilgrims progressing. We're sojourners in this life. He also said that every Christian, anybody remember? Presses on. He says, I press on. I press on in two ways, remember? Which is really only one way. I press on in my own sanctification as I cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I'm pressing on to the golden shore. I'm pressing on to the celestial city. I always keep it in my mind. It's foremost in my mind anytime I make a decision. The celestial city is in my mind. I'm pressing on in my sanctification and I'm pressing on toward home. This is what Paul saying to us. And you may remember uh, as we developed last week, he gave us some good counsel on pressing on. You remember what he said? He said, look at men and women of faith. Look at Christ. Look at me, he said. Look at the men and women of Hebrews 11. And look at godly people in your life. Look at them. See how they live it. See how they do it. And I'm talking, I'm not just talking about people who are church members in your life. I'm talking about people who really live the gospel. And you can see it, you can feel it, and you can hear it in their lives. They're outside the box of religion. They're out there with Jesus, right? Those are the kind of people that we're talking about. Another thing he told us last week, he said, avoid the, the covert enemies of the cross. As he talked again about those who, I guess for shorthand, we'll say, Pseudo-Christianity. Avoid pseudo-Christianity. Counterfeit Christianity. The false gospel that we've already mentioned. And then he said, we've already mentioned this too, but last week he, he drove it home. He said, remember, you're a citizen of heaven. That's who you really are. You don't belong here. You're not here to stay. You're here to go. 
You are a citizen of heaven. You have a very simple job for the few moments you have left on this planet. Make much of Jesus. That's it. I know you get confused. I get confused. Sometimes I think it's about me or it's about my job or it's about my family or it's about my, my, my financial security or it's about X, Y, Z. No! It's about Christ, beloved. If you call yourself a Christian, it is about Christ. I'm not saying we don't have subordinate concerns in this life. Of course we do. But if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a disciple, it is about Jesus. Your marriage is about Jesus. The way you raise your kids is about Jesus. The way you do your job is about Jesus. The way you do your studies, it's about Jesus. What you do in your leisure, it's about Jesus. If, in fact, we call ourselves disciples. So you get to the end of <laughs> Philippians chapter 3 and the Holy Spirit says, therefore. You have to know you know, you have to investigate that, right? I bet some of you were sitting there last week thinking, how can he leave Philippians when it says therefore in the next word? How can he possibly leave? How could any, you know, serious pastor or preacher of the word leave a therefore hanging? I don't think a serious one can. At least I, not this one. At least I can't. So, I thought it would be worthwhile to investigate the next few Verses. One thing I try to do in my preaching is when I look at a text, I always try to condense it down into a couple of words or maybe even one word if I can. And I remember the first time I preached this text, I couldn't find the thread. I always try to pull one thread. Hopefully that you understand this is the thread that I'm pulling. And I couldn't find it. I thought, well, this is just a set of disconnected exhortations and commands. I couldn't find it. I bet some of you... Found it faster than I did. What is the thread in these first five verses? Did you hear it? Four times in five verses. Paul says, the Lord. The Lord. It's all about the Lord. Every exhortation. Every command. I'll take it further. Every heartbeat for the true believer. It's about the Lord. You can do everything Paul commands us to do or exhorts us to do in the first five verses of, of this chapter in the Lord. You know, being a Christian is not about looking in the mirror and ascertaining if I can do it or not. You can't do it. Let me just relieve your misery. or your quite, You can't do it. You can't walk with Jesus apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So did you notice Philippians verse 1, stand firm how? How does a Christian stand firm? How? In the Lord. That's what the text says. We can live in harmony. Verse 2 there. Why? Because of the Lord. We can be peacemakers. Why? Because of the Lord. We can rejoice always. Someone tell me why. Because of the Lord. And lastly, we can forbear with all men. Why? Because of the Lord. Is that how you're living your Christianity, beloved? You know, if you're really living your Christianity, and I, I, I'm not talking about just being a church member and a church goer. I'm talking about going out that door and living it in the world in such a way that people around you see it, they hear it. Do they see the Lord in your life? 
can they see the power and the assurance and the joy of the Lord in your life? Beloved, these are the kinds of disciples that we ought to be. Of course, many of you know chapter 4, verse 13, one of the most famous verses in all the New Testament. Paul says, I can do all things through what? Through Him! That's the whole point of the message. You can be a Christian because He's God. Now, if He were a pseudo-God or a false God or a cartoon God, we would have no hope of ever doing anything the Bible says because it's all supernatural. But because He is God, we can do it. I can do all things. You say, Jim, I can't do that. Wrong! You can in Christ. If Christ is calling you to do it, you can do it. I'm a mild manner accountant. Used to have a little pocket protector right here. And now I preach the gospel for a living. You don't think God can change you? You don't think God can turn you into something you're not? You don't think God can't blow up your resume? Of course He can, and of course He will. He will. This is what God does. He blows up His people's resumes. So, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I, I know I give you this verse all the time. I can't help it. I think the last time Lynn was here, I gave this verse. And she always says the same thing when I give this verse. No pressure, Lynn. <laughs> Daniel 11.32, The people who do know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Amen? In my book, that's the first thing in the book. That's the f in, when the book actually starts, at chapter 1, bam. Actually, the introduction, bam. Daniel 11.32. We can live radical lives of faith because our God is God. It's like I preach every week. I mean, you know, <laughs> I preach it every week. In every sermon I preach, that's in there, you know. God's awesome. Go live like it. So we can do Hebrews 11 because He's God. We can do all He says because He will do all He says. He's God and nobody else is. And I'm going to do this. I've done this. I do this at least once a quarter, sometimes more than a quarter. Some of, you, some of you folks are saying, well, Jim, you sure do tell us God is awesome a lot. Well, there's a reason. It's not simply because you know I'm a broken record. There's a reason... Because if you don't know He's God and you don't know He's awesome and you don't know He can be trusted, you will never be a Hebrews 11 Christian. You will never, ever take a risk for Christ if you don't know what an awesome God He is. So I'm just going to remind you one more time. You know, if you've heard this before, just enjoy. I love the verses in uh, Isaiah chapter 40 through 46. Where God says, I'm God, nobody else is. You know the verses. I share them with you on occasion. I'm just going to go through them again. This is just free stuff. Okay? God says, To whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal? I am God, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God before me. There was no God, and there will be none after me. There is no Savior besides me. I am God, and there is no one like me. The nations are nothing before me. I sit above the vault of the earth. I am the everlasting God. There is no other. I am the first and the last. 
There is no one like Me. I declare the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all My good pleasure. Don't you love it when your Father talks like that? I love it. I, I love it. That's in chapter 1 too. <laughs> yeah, that's in chapter 1 too. He is I Am. He's Jehovah. He's Adonai. He's El Shaddai. He's Elohim. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's Jesus Christ. He effortlessly speaks 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. Before Him, angels, devils, demons, presidents, popes, kings, and all men are less than grasshoppers. The psalmist tells us. David says it perfectly in 1 Chronicles 29. He says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and in the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord. You exalt Yourself as head over all and You rule over all. Jehoshaphat got it right. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. O Lord, You are God in heaven. You are ruler over all kingdoms and nations. Power and might are in Your hands so that no one can stand against you. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't have said it any better. Daniel chapter 4. For God's dominion is everlasting dominion. He does according to His will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can stay His hand. Job was correct. Whatever God's soul desires to do, He does it. That's Job chapter 23. Job also says in Job chapter 42, no purpose of God's can be thwarted. The psalmist says, <laughs> Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Amen? Are you serious? You're going to go out in the world and live your Christianity in some small, timid, afraid way? Are you kidding me? You could not have met the Lion of Judah and live like that. If you've met the Lion of Judah, if you've met Adonai, you have all confidence to go in the world and be His disciple. I love it when she does that. <laughs> Beloved, I'm always astonished. I am. I am always astonished. People who call themselves Christians. And they live it about this big. I, 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 I personally don't understand it. I just don't, I just don't understand it. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I think, I think the vast majority of those who call themselves Christians, I think, I think when they get to heaven, they're going to see Him. And they're going to go, Man, what was I thinking? Because if He's really that awesome, I shouldn't have been afraid. I shouldn't have shrank back from obedience. I should have given my heart, soul, body, mind, money to the kingdom of God. He's a great and awesome God, beloved. He's the irrepressible, uncontrollable, unmanageable, untamable God. He does whatever He pleases. There is... No other. Do you know that Philippians 4.13 is true every day? Do you know it? Do you know it, beloved? Do you know it? That you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love how Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 40.31. 
He says, those who wait for the Lord, they gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So the Apostle Paul has been telling us to, to press on. And I want to tell you that you can. I, I know that there may be as many people as we have here tonight. There may be that many difficult circumstances in each one of your life. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know how hard it is for you. I don't know what the difficulties are. But I know this, God's bigger. And I, I know this too. If you're, in, if you're in a hard place, God's going to work that for good in your life. I know that. Romans 8.28 is true every day, just like Philippians 4.13 is true every day. You can do it! You can do everything He calls you to do. I was preaching back in Little Rock, you know, and I got all fired up and I was talking about how big God is. And I, I got to the end of the message and I said, well, what should we do with a message like this? And I said, everything! Go do everything! Don't leave anything undone. Amen? Don't go leave anything undone. Go in the world and do everything He calls you to do. You've got... I'm serious. You know it. You know your Bible. You've got a few minutes. As compared to eternity, you have moments, beloved. You have moments. I know we get deceived. We think, well, you know, I've got so many years. Well, even if you have so many years, statistically, you, as compared to eternity, we're talking... We're talking moments. So we are aliens. We press on. In our sanctification, we are pressing on to heaven. As we've been saying, hard-pressed men and women, what do they do? What do hard-pressed men and women do? Someone tell me. It's clever. Hard-pressed men and women, they press on. Right? And Paul says, I'm hard-pressed. I don't know if I want to stay or go. And the true believer gets that tension. We understand that tension. We're ready to go. We're ready to go. But if the Lord leaves us here, we're ready to be poured out, right? We're ready to be poured out for our great Creator, Redeemer God. Verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. So what's the therefore? Therefore, Paul says, be a man, be a woman of God. Stand firm. doesn't matter how hard it is. Okay, we know where Paul is right now. Where's, where's Paul when he's writing this? Someone tell me. Where's Paul when he's writing this? He's in prison, right? He's chained between, or he's chained at least to one Roman soldier 24-7, right? His head might be chopped off at any time, Right? <laughs> and uh, he's making no excuses. He says, I I'm in prison, but I stand firm in the Lord. I stand firm in the Lord, and they can't have my joy, right? No one can have my joy. My joy comes from God. Nobody can have my joy. I think we're going to see the 12th and 13th time that the word joy appears in the book of Philippians in our text. This man is, I don't know, he's irrepressible. <laughs> He's in love with Jesus, right? It's what true Christianity looks like. I couldn't help but think of Peter's last exhortation in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Some of you may remember we, as we went through 2 Peter some time ago. He says, Paul, uh, Peter says, I've written this book. He says, what I've written in this book is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. 
This command is repeated a number of times in the New Testament. Stand firm. Are you standing firm, beloved? Are you standing firm out in the world? This is what the, the Bible's talking about. And we can stand firm as 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12 tells us because of all the things that, that the Holy Spirit tells us in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. And I'm just going to give you this litany because I love this litany and it gets me jazzed up. And I just want to share it with you. You guys remember as we went through 1 Peter, God says, I've chosen you, verse 1. Can you stand firm? Okay. You can stand firm because of this litany. God says, I've chosen you, verse 1. I've redeemed you with my blood, verse 2. I've sanctified you with my spirit, verse 2. I've caused you to be born again, verse 3. I've prepared an imperishable inheritance for you, verse 4. I'm protecting you with my omnipotent power, verse 5. I'm perfecting your faith in every trial, verse 6 and 7. And I'm saving your soul, verse 8 and 9. You can stand firm. Why can we stand firm? Because I'm such a great Christian? No, because He's such an awesome God. Really, if you don't stand firm in the world, beloved, it's not a confession of your own weakness. It's a confession of, I don't really believe Him. I mean, ultimately, that's what you're saying. I don't really believe He's God enough to take care of me if I take a stand. That's really what you're saying. I know you would never articulate that, but by your deeds, you're saying, I don't think He's God enough to protect me in this instance. That's really what we're saying. God says, stand firm. Be my witness. You say, well, I've got this problem, I've got this concern, I've got this reality in my job, I've got X, it, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, be my witness. That's the only reason He leaves His people on the planet, because it would be very much better to be with Him. Be my witness in the world is why He has left us here. made me think of Matthew chapter 7. You know, the, the, the imagery here that Jesus uh, conjures up, He says, Everyone who hears My Word and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. And when the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, it did not fall because it was on the rock. We can stand firm because He is the rock. And when the storm comes, and it will come in your life, the storms will come. All manner of storms will come. The thing about the true Christian is we don't get blown over. Amen? We don't get blown over. I'm not saying we don't struggle and we don't hurt and we don't grieve and we don't cry. I'm not saying that. We do all of those things. But we never get blown over because we're standing on the rock. His name is Jesus. The psalmists were all over this. Let me just give you a few verses here. The Lord is my what? Rock. <laughs> He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. You are my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. Who is who's a rock except our God? O Lord, You are my rock and my redeemer. To You, O Lord, I call my rock. You are my rock of strength, the stronghold. God is my rock in my salvation. The Most High God is our rock. God is the rock of my refuge. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. 
Stand firm, beloved. That's what he's calling you to do tonight. That's what he's calling me to do. Stand firm. Will you stand firm? When, you know, the culture's going 180 degrees in the other direction, will you stand firm? Will you call sin, sin? Will you love people enough to call sin, sin? Will you? Will you love people enough to do it? Listen, you've got to love people enough. You've got to really love people to give them hard truth. <laughs> the world doesn't want to hear hard truth. They don't want God's truth. They want their own truth. But you've got to really love. You've got to take a risk. You've got to put yourself out there to speak the Word of God in the, in the marketplace of ideas out there. Will you, will you be a witness for God out, out there? Will you love people enough? Will you stand on the rock? You can. Let me tell you, you can. You have no excuse. You may think you have an excuse, but you have no excuse. You can stand on the rock. You can be a witness. I tell you this all the time. You're not called to win the argument. You're just called to be a witness. Most of the time in the world, at least by worldly standards, you will lose the argument. You may be shouted down. That doesn't really matter. You stand and be a witness. You love those people around you enough who are hating you, maybe... You know, I don't know, whatever they do. And I know they can do some mean things. You have to love them enough to give them a witness and to give them the truth. And sometimes it's costly to do that. Are you willing to stand and do that? I love what Eugene Peterson says about Psalm 71.3. He, he says, he says, he says, God is our vast granite fortress. Don't you, do you know that, beloved? He's your vast granite fortress. You may be assailed. You may end up in prison like Paul. I doubt it in our context. There may be some folks who live, who, when they repatriate, they might be in dangerous contexts. I don't know. But you have all that you need to stand firm. Because our God is God. Did you notice this is a command? <laughs> this, is, this is not up for discussion. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not, not up for debate. God says, stand firm. Stand firm in who I am. Stand firm. So when the anxiety comes and the worry comes, the fear comes, the trials come, the suffering comes, the persecution comes, Jesus says when the storm comes, to use His metaphor, we will not be blown over. We will stand firm and give a witness. Stand firm. You know, I know, I know a lot of Christians, and I used to be this way, I was, just, I was intimidated because I think, well, I could never win the argument here. I'm outnumbered. I'm going to be shouted down. That's never the point. The point is, give a witness. And yes, some will ostracize you. Some will. Do you love them enough to be ostracized by them? I mean, Paul's not in prison for no reason. Speaking the truth sometimes, many times, is a costly thing to do. So Paul says, stand firm in the Lord, verses 2 and 3. I love... How did you, how did you pronounce this, uh, Mark? You did a good job. <laughs> Eudea, Eudea, and I urge Sinteca to live in harmony in the Lord. I love this, right? Okay. 
you're in the church of Philippi, and a letter has arrived from the Apostle Paul, and everybody's jazzed, and the elders are going to read this letter, right? Sunday. And these women are so excited, and they're listening to the, t- they're listening to the word being read, and it's like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, amen. And then, bam! They're called out by name. What are they guilty of? Some kind of contention between them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine sitting there? Bam! You know, and yeah, forever you're <laughs> forever you're in the Word of God. You know, and, uh, and 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 Paul's calling you. You know, he's calling you to peace here. And so, what is harmony? What is what is the definition of harmony? I looked it up. It's the lack of 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 conflict, which I never I never like negative definitions, but I like this one. Harmony is a pleasing combination of diverse elements. Amen? And that's what we are at ICM. As I said, I think I said earlier, we've had 78 nations come through this church. We are a diverse group. You know, if we don't love God more than we love ourselves, we, we can't survive. We've survived for 10 years because people come through that door. They lay down their denominational baggage. We all have denominational baggage. We lay it down and we submit ourselves to this. Just this. This is all we do. And if we have questions or, uh, or you know, legitimate questions, we sit down and we, we talk about it. We pray through it and we study through it. We don't enter into contention. What, what's happening if, if, if there's contention in the body of Christ? What's happening? What, what's the one thing we know for sure is happening? It's sin. You know, we know that this conflict is not about truth. And we know that truth divides. We know that some people don't want the truth. They don't like the truth. They don't really want to hear what God says and, and they leave. As John says, they, they uh, go out from us because they were never of us. We know that truth can divide, but we know this argument's not about truth. Why do we know that? I mean, Paul would have simply uh, cleared it up in the text. He would have cleared it up. This is not about truth. This is about sin. And so he calls them out. Actually... God calls them out. And He says, live in harmony. How can we live in harmony? How can 78 nations from every conceivable denomination live in harmony? In the Lord. (laughs) In the Lord. That's the only way this church exists. That's the only reason that door's been open for 10 years. Because it pleases God. That's the only reason that door is open. Because it pleases God for that door to be open. And for His people from every corner of the globe to come here and worship Him in harmony! In harmony. So we forget about our self-interests and we seek Christ's interest. We talked about it last week. It's a given that Satan attacks the church from the outside, but you guys are well aware if you've been a Christian very long that he attacks on the inside. You know, the, the overt attacks are not near as damaging as the covert attacks that come from the inside. He loves to stir up and destroy churches from the inside. And God calls these two women out. (laughs) This is how serious God is about it. Right? He calls them. 
he calls them out. And I have a hunch that these two ladies are already uh, under conviction about the, this conflict between them because they've already heard the uh, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 read. It goes like this, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. Did you hear that? That's the only way this church survives. Because you're more important than I am. And your neighbor's more important than you are. And he goes on. Do not merely look at your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. This is the only God-sanctioned, God-approved form of discrimination. Everybody's more important than me. This is godly discrimination. Everybody's more important. That's how every church has to function, should function. This church must function this way. (laughs) Or we will not survive. I love Colossians 3, 12-15. Let me read it to you. This This is God's prescription for harmony in the church. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. Beyond all this, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And did you notice here in verse 3? Let me, let me read verse 3. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the Gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Actually, Paul is appealing what appears to be obviously an elder in the church to become a peacemaker here. Now listen, anytime you see a, a professed uh, believer, particularly uh, someone who's attending this church, and you see conflict between two people, you know what your job is, right? Well, it's to find out all, it's to get the scoop and tell everybody else, right? That's what Christians do. We get the scoop and we gossip. We become a peacemaker. This is what real Christians do. Real Christians don't gossip. Real Christians come alongside and they become a peacemaker. We know how God feels about peacemakers. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? What does He say about peacemakers? They are called the sons of God. (laughs) We are to be peacemakers, beloved. So Paul says, stand firm in the Lord. Then he says, live in harmony in the Lord. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. As I said earlier, the man's in prison and you can't hold him down. The joy oozes out. Don't you love it? Are you like this, beloved? You know, if you think it's all about you, you can never be like this. Because there's always going to be something upsetting you. Someone has offended you, your vanity or your ego or your pride. Or there's some circumstance in your life that's making you unhappy. You can't make Paul unhappy. You can beat him. You can stone him. You can put him in prison. You can whip him. 
But you can't make him unhappy. Why? Someone tell me why. He's got this sacred romance going on in his heart, right? <laughs> He's so in love with Jesus Christ. You can't have his joy. He's not going to give it to you or anybody else. So this man's sitting in prison. And this joy is oozing out of him. It's an awesome lesson, right? You remember when he and Silas were arrested over an act, something, chapter, whatever, I don't know. And they threw him in prison unjustly. They beat him, put him in stocks. What were they doing? They were wringing their hands and they were moaning and groaning and they were complaining to God, why did you let this happen when I'm trying to be your minister and your witness and your evangelist and your missionary? Was that what they were doing? Anybody remember what they were doing? How does a man sing in that situation? It's because he's an inside-out guy. He's not an, an outside-in guy, right? Most of us operate as an outside-in person. Well, whatever's going on out here, that affects my soul, my mind, my view, of my attitude. But Paul's a, an inside-out guy. It doesn't matter what's going on out here. The only thing that matters is the sacred romance is alive and well in here. Amen? That's what matters to Paul. You can't have his joy. You can't have it. You know, some folks, it's like, well, my spouse didn't speak nicely to me or my kids behaved badly or it went bad at work or, or you know, my health is bad or my return on investment's bad. I don't know. It could be 101 things. But I let it affect my heart. I let it affect me. I let it affect my delight in God. Beloved, I don't have to tell you this is wrong, do I? I know we're human beings. I know we struggle. But when you catch yourself in that kind of mindset, you need to preach to yourself immediately and throw it off. You throw it off. You don't engage it. You don't indulge it. It's not about you. And the only people that think like this, the people who think like that, that, you know, the people who allow every little upset in life destroy their joy, they think the universe is about them. But if you really know it's about Jesus, <laughs> you know, you're not going to sweat the small stuff. You're just, and the big stuff, you're just going to give to Him. The big stuff, you're just going to give to the Lord. This is a command too. How can God command us to be joyful? Because He is. And if He's really indwelling us, we will be too. I'm not saying, you know, we don't hurt. Certainly we do. We can be sorrowful, but how does Paul say it? We can be sorrowful, yet what? Always rejoicing. And this is the Apostle Paul. And this is one thing I would encourage you to press on. If, you, if you're not in this place, in your maturation, if you're not in this place, learn to throw off discouragement and anxiety and fear and disappointment. These things are real, but throw them off. Your God is bigger. Your God is bigger. You know, the outside things are always in a state of flux, but... What you already know is I am is always the same. So we can fall on Him. There's no variation to Him. He's always perfect. He's always awesome. He's always beautiful. He's always faithful. 
He's always doing an awesome thing in the lives of His people. I will complete the good work I've begun. This is what the Lord says to us. So God says, rejoice always. Not because Christianity is a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons. Not because God's promised health, wealth, and prosperity. You know that false gospel we touched on last week. He says, rejoice always because I am a God of infinite exuberance. You can see it in the cosmos. You can just look at a flower and see it. You can eat a perfect watermelon and taste it. You know? The exuberance of God is everywhere. If you can't see it, you're not looking. God says rejoice always. And I, I guess I'm going to dare you on this one. I dare you not. I dare you to call yourself a Christian and not rejoice always. I dare you. And I want you to report back to me. Uh, and you tell me how it goes. I dare you not to rejoice always. How could you not rejoice always? Your God's an awesome God. He's a beautiful God. He's a compelling God. He's a, a God who will satisfy your soul for a billion eternities. He's the God in the manger. He's the God on the cross. He's the God in the tomb. Oh, He's the God at the right hand of, of the Father. He's the returning God. He's the reigning God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, Really? I know I've already said that once in the sermon, maybe twice already. Are you kidding me? <laughs> really? Are you serious? How can you not rejoice? Even on the hard day, and I know there are some hard days. I know, I've been through some hard days. I'm almost 60. I've lived through some hard days. But the sun always comes up and God is always good. And even if the sun doesn't come up for me, even if I'm planted, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not there in the box. I'm gone. Right? I'm with the Lord. So I dare you. I dare you, you know. Okay, how can you not rejoice when death is gained? Someone tell me. There's something wrong with our thinking or we simply don't believe the Bible. How can we not rejoice if death is our gain? Just a question I wanted to put to you. Verse 5, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. This is a complex word. Uh, translated forbearing here, this Greek word. Let me just give you several uh, lexicon words that I saw here. This word means contentment. It means reasonableness. It means gentleness. It means big-heartedness. It means generosity. It means friendliness. It means charitableness. It means mercy. It means patience. It means graciousness. And it means humility. So the implication of this verse is that's who God wants you to be in this body and out in the world. You know, we talk about it a lot. As Paul told the Corinthians, you're supposed to smell like God. When you're out in the world, you're supposed to smell like God. You're supposed to smell like a man who has a forbear or a woman who has a forbearing spirit. You smell like God. Because only God's people really have this kind of spirit. To this degree, you know, the surest way to be miserable in this life as I touched on earlier, is to think it's all about you. It's really all about God and what God wants to do in you and through you. That's really, at the end of the day, if you, do, you, do, you want, do you want to be one of the happiest people on the planet? 
Do you want to be one of the most satisfied people on the planet? Do you want to be one of the most filled up people in the pla- on the planet? Delight yourself in the Lord and then obey Him without reserve. Now, if you try to hold back, if you try to play it safe, you, you're not going to be able to go there. You're not going to find the, the, the satisfaction and the delight that God has designed you for. But if you, if you come to God with open hands, Lord, I'm all yours. Everything I have is yours. You're, you're, you're setting yourself up for divine joy. You say, well, Jim, I, I don't have a lot of joy in my life. And I've said this to you before, and I say it lovingly, that's mostly your fault. That's mostly your fault. I probably should just go ahead and say, it's all your fault. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Because God will fill you up when you deal with Him like this. Open hands. He'll fill you up. You'll discover who you were meant to be, who you were designed to be. Do you notice here, the end of verse 5, Paul says, The Lord is near. He's near. We talked about it last week. He's near. It's the last hour. He's near. He's drawn near to us. What does the Bible say? He's the unapproachable, consuming fire God. But this unapproachable God has what? He has approached us. Amen? He has come near to us. And because He has come near to us, we can stand firm in the Lord, verse 1. We can live in harmony, verse 2. We can be peacemakers, verse 3. We can rejoice always, verse 4. And we can forbear with all men, verse 5. Beloved, tonight the Lord is reminding us that He has drawn near to us and He is commanding us to live like that's true. So that's my exhortation to you tonight. And I'm going to end with Daniel 11.32. The people who know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Why? Because of the Lord. Because our God has drawn near to us. And because our God is God and nobody else is. (laughs) I couldn't leave the therefore hanging. Do you see what I'm saying? And the next couple of verses are so huge. They're so huge. You guys know these verses that are coming up. They're so huge that I'm probably going to have to develop those too. But that's okay. You know, that's all right. Therefore. Therefore. You always got to see what it's there for. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this encouragement and this exhortation. Thank You for reminding us really of some fundamental truths. The foremost being that we can do all things because You are who You are. We can do all things in Christ. Because You are an awesome God, a faithful God, a good God, an attentive God. A God whose promise, not one promise has ever fallen to the ground. 
a promise-keeping God. So Lord, I pray we would stand firm in the world. Probably some of us in here are struggling. But You're calling us to just simply believe You are who You say You are. So Lord, that's our challenge. To simply believe that You are who You say You are and then to incarnate that reality. To give a witness in the world. To stand firm and give a witness in the church and also in the world. That You are a compelling God, a beautiful God, a desirable God. Use us, Father, we pray in this regard. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.